0: the podcast of the Drow Vineyard Church. This is a message by Denville Lee. Just to give you like a little framework here, right? So Paul, Paul gets saved, um, and I love Paul. I, I, I love the story of Paul because Paul's story reminds me so much of my story, right? Um, Paul's story, like when I got saved and, and I, I, I was considering like where to start in reading the Bible because I had already read the Bible and, and I grew up you know, um, in a Christian home. And I, I find that most atheists who, who I've ever met grew up in Christian homes, <laughs> Like like all all my atheist friends, you know um they grew up in christian homes and and so even for for me um it, the years that I spent in 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 my self identification as an atheist you know um i I read the the Bible, but when I got saved and I started to read this thing with new eyes the the Lord kind of led me t- to this person of Paul. And I just really got interested with Paul because Paul was kind of like me. Like I, I didn't like Christians, right? Like I, I, I didn't like what, what Christians represented. I didn't like what they stood for. Um, I, th- I thought that they were the greatest hypocrites and I, I wasn't wrong in everything, you know, but, but, uh, you know, because there's some, there, there, there are many and, and it's hard to be a Christian. Um, if, if you're new to this thing, it's hard to be a Christian. And if anyone tells you that it's easy to, to be a Christian, it's not true. It's like, it's like being a father. It's hard to be a father. You know, I, my wife and I celebrated our four-year anniversary this past weekend. And and thank you. And and so we we, we spent some time away, right? And we're there like talking and, and we're talking about the kids, because that's when you're parents, that's all you know, that's all you do, right? Like you go away and you try to get away from like the parenting, and you sit down at dinner at this nice restaurant, and you're like so you know what Jacob did today? like, oh, we're talking about the kids. And we spent like the whole meal just talking about the kids. And, and I, I just realized that like I have no clue what I'm doing. Like I, like I, I think about like my wife tells me what, what she does and what she thinks. And we have these ideas on how we're going to get these men to be men. Like how are we going to raise these boys that they, that they can be men who, who we're proud to raise? Like what do we tell them? like what do we do like as a father you know i'm i'm like what's my example for being a father like well, I, I used to watch Lifetime movies, right? I, I guess like, like, like that guy. He was really gentle, you know, <laughs> except for the crazy ones because some of them on Lifetime, they're, they're crazy. Not those dads, right? But, but, like, but like you watch movies and, and, and you see people do certain like, Like what's a good father? Like, like what makes out a good father? And, and where am I getting my cues from in this? Like, and I find that I just make it up as I go along. You know, like I see my son do something, I'm like that doesn't look right, but I don't know, like, should I, what, like, how, how do I respond when he's messing up, you know, and, and I, I just kind of bow down to the idea, you know, I was, I was at dinner, I was like, I just, another glass of wine, I have no clue what I'm doing, like, like, it's Father's Day, and if I'm going to be honest, I have no clue what I'm doing, and I'm about to go home, and I'm going to take another year into this father thing, and, and hope that next year I can say, hey, we, we're, we're getting by, and, and we're doing this thing somewhat right, you know, But Paul, Paul comes to a place where Paul had his beliefs on who God was and Paul's beliefs on who God was were radically shift. Like it wasn't like he changed a few ideas, right? Like my ideas on, on God was non-existent. Like it didn't appear to me that there could be a God because if there was a God, the world would look a little bit different. You know, it's like trying to come into my, it's, it's like telling you, hey, I'm a millionaire. And then you come into my house and it's, it's like a box, it's like a shoebox. He's like, no, you're not a millionaire. Mil- millionaires have something to show for their money. And I'm like, if there's a God, what's he showing for his money? And I look around and I look at the earth and I look at people and I even look at me. And I'm like, if there was a God, then the world wouldn't look this way. And I had my worldview shaped on some of those principles because I believe that only one realm existed. And Paul had an understanding of God that was a little bit better than mine because he at least believed that God existed. But something happened with, with Paul, and he's writing to the church in Galatia, and what he's telling them, he's, he's validating himself as an apostle, right? Because there's some Judaizers that are coming in. There's some people who are coming in, and they're telling Christians how to be Christians, and they're not giving them right information. Have you ever met those people? Like, they're telling you what to do, and you're like, Ah! I don't really know if that's right. I don't know if that's really Christian. Like, it's good, but I don't know if that's what it means to, to be a Christian, right? I always find that people outside of Christianity love to tell Christians how to be Christians. Right? Like, if, if you were a Christian, you shouldn't be doing this. I, I thought you were a Christian. Like, you know, and, and, and so these Judaizers were coming in, and they were defining what it meant to be a Christian. And, and what they were doing is they were forcing the Christians to actually follow some of the Jewish laws. And, and they were kind of undoing what Paul was teaching, and they even started, they not only um, in, invalidated the, the, the gospel that Paul taught them, but they also started to invalidate Paul. They were saying, Paul is not really an apostle. He didn't even know Jesus. He's, he's not really, you shouldn't really listen to this guy. So Paul writes this letter in response, and he's kind of explaining himself, and he's explaining his walk, and, and, and how he came to this shift about who God was. And I'm going to read um, just just the the first verse and then we're going to jump down to the 11th in in Galatians chapter 1. So Paul starts off and he says, Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Right? And and so this is this is him opening up. This is this is how he opens up this letter. He's like, Man didn't send me, I didn't come for man, didn't come by man, I came by the Lord Jesus and by God the Father. Now these are two distinct Names that, that, God, that, that Paul is presenting here, he's saying Jesus Christ, like for, for Paul who is a Jew, and, and you'll see some of his, his credentials here, Paul is a Jew and he's professing Christ and he's pr- professing God as father. And so he starts off by showing you what his beliefs are and how he came to believe what he believed. If you jump down to verse 11, Paul says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preach is not from human origin." I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many my own age among my people, and I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my father's. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by His grace, was pleased to reveal His Son in me, so that I might preach among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult with any human being. So Paul saying, "This is who I was, and this is who I am." And what I want to look at is what what Paul says happened between who he was and who he is. And what I want to 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 convey today, in in case in case you zone out at some point, right? Um, here it all is. This, I'm just going to lay my cards out here. Paul is saying that he came to know that God was his father. He came to, to know that Jesus was Lord. Something happened within the interim that changed the way that he used to think to, to the way that he now thinks, and it radically changes life. If you are ready for your life to be radically changed, I'm not just talking about like a few degrees to the left or a few degrees to the right, there, there, there's something significant that happens, and that thing is called revelation. Revelation happens. And, and when I say revelation, um, I always like to explain that revelation is not the same thing as information, right? So, so information informs your intellect, but revelation inf- informs every single part of your being. When you have a revelation, see, much of the church, when we think of revelation, we think of revelation as something that confirms what I already believe. So you already have a belief, and then you have a revelation to kind of pat you on the back like, yeah, hey, you're right. So God gives you a picture that matches up with a belief that you already have, and then we say, I just had a revelation from the Lord, and he's confirming something that I already know, and he's proving my rightness. But there's a part of revelation that does something a little bit different, and revelation is not just to confirm our beliefs, but oftentimes it begins with destruction. Sometimes revelation begins by destroying your illusions, Sometimes revelation begins by tearing down your false ideas. That's where it starts. Revelation can, can start out painfully. It, 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 it breaks down misconceptions. Paul's revelation began. He's riding on a horse. S- suddenly he finds himself on his back and he's blind. Revelation begins. It's not like he was at a church service. He had a nice, and he came up out of the water. No, like he, he, he was blinded and knocked on his bum. That's how revelation started for him, right? And, and, and so true revelation deconstructs in order to build up. And so if all revelation is doing for you is confirming and patting you on the back what you already know, you're not open enough to have a revelation from God because God is so much bigger than your understanding. If the the only thing God ever reveals to you is more of what you already know, then you need to graduate to the next grade. There's no point in staying back in the fifth grade over and over again because you're really good at it. I was talking to a young man the other day and he refused to get a better job. He refused to get a better job because he was really good at what he was doing. You need to step into something more challenging if you really want to grow like I understand that you feel good when you leave work I'm doing a really good job and and the accolades and you feel like you're doing but you will never grow if you keep repeating the fifth grade and revelation and then when you get into the sixth grade you start to question your fifth grade teacher well she taught me how to do this problem a little bit different and your sixth grade teacher is going to tell you you need to tear some of that down because I'm going to show you something bigger that's going to prepare you for the tenth grade that's how revelation has to happen and I find that many times, we're 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 comfortable b- because it affirms us, and we're like, I, like I know everything that I'm ever gonna know. And so even, what's, what's going to happen today is I'm going to explain some things, and some people in this room, you're going to hear it in your own understanding of what you already believe, and it's not going to challenge you at all, because, because some people refuse to step out of their systems of what they already know, because everything has to conform to you. But the idea that I shared is that when you think of God, right, the, the idea of God has to be deconstructed and match up to the person of Christ oftentimes what happens is we have an idea of who God is. And when we have an idea of who God is, and then we come to, to know Christ, we, we take this little Jesus, and we, and we try to thumbtack him and put him into the person of who God is. But, but Jesus said things like, he came to reveal the Father. And so Jesus should be pointing to who God is. Your idea of God cannot point to Jesus. So people say things like, If God was real, this was me, if God was real, then people wouldn't be dying in Africa. So at some point, how the heck do I know what God is even like? What gives me the right to have an idea that God should be like something? Where did I come from with that idea? I thought that if God was real, then he should not, there should be no suffering. If God was real, I shouldn't be poor. Where did I come from with that idea? How did I come up with an idea that God was was supposed to provide everything for me and I was supposed to never lack? Where did I come from with that idea? Didn't get it from Jesus. I was an atheist. Where was I coming from with this idea? I had a God that I created. And I created him so I could disqualify him as an atheist. And then even as believers, we can create a God and and the God that we create then Jesus has to now live up to that standard, and the God in the Bible has to live up to that standard. But that, this is where Paul was, and Paul had a revelation. And, and, and having this type of revelation that deconstructs and destroys and tears down illusions and misconceptions, this is not something that's, that's foreign, right? Um, God promises to destroy wisdom. Wisdom. God, God promises throughout Scripture he's going to destroy wisdom. Isaiah 20, 14, he says, Therefore, once more, I will astound the people with wonder upon wonder, and the wisdom of the wise will perish, and the intelligence of the intelligent will vanish. And Paul even reproduces this in Corinthians, and he says God is going to wipe out the wisdom of the wise. He's going to use the foolish things, and he's going to make the wise bow down. He's going to destroy their illusions of what they think because they think they know something. And that's where revelation begins. Revelation begins where you have to kind of humble yourself under what you don't know. That's what happened to me this weekend. I, I was like, ah, there's so much that I don't know. And as soon as I humbled myself under what I don't know, I started to know a lot more, and there's still so much. Like, the more if, if, you're, if you're learning more, and the more you learn, you're learning that you know less, you're doing a good job. The more you learn, you should be learning that you know even less than you knew before you learned it. That's, that's when you're good. If you're getting comfortable with the fact that you're knowing more, and, and you're stacking up this knowing arsenal of stuff, and you feel like, I know more, and, and, I'm, and like, I'm almost there in my knowing, then you're not in a good place. Every door that you open should, should lead to a million more. And then out of those million, you pick one, because you can only pick one. You open that door and and it leads to another million. And you know that there's a million behind you. And there's a million before you. You pick one. You go down that one. There's a million here. Now you're two million back. That's revelation. The more you know, the more you realize that you... Because that's God. That's who God is. God is this ever-expanding thing in the universe. Scientists look out in their telescope and they see that the universe is ever-expanding and they're seeing that God is never-ending. There's galaxies within galaxies. In every black hole, there's a universe and it's ever-expanding and the universe is so big. How can we ever think that we have a knowledge of everything? So God comes to tear down what you know to build up what He knows, but what He knows is continually growing. (laughs) So Paul begins his letter to the Galatians, and he says, Paul, an apostle sent from God, not by men, but by revelation of Jesus Christ and God the Father. And in and, 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 and verse 14, he says, I was advancing in Judaism, and I was extremely zealous for my father's tradition. And Paul experiences that while he was chasing the dreams of his fathers, his forefathers, he came to know Jesus as Christ, and he came to know God as, as his father. He had a revelation of who God was. For paul paul and his fathers understood god as a creator in the old testament there's an understanding that god is a creator that god is powerful that god is mighty they understood who god was outside of real personal experience with god and 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 then something happens where, where, where paul has a new direction and it wasn't separate from his father's direction but it was just a greater revelation of it and and, and so paul was chasing his father's dreams Paul was chasing the dreams of his forefathers. And then Jesus came and showed him something real, and he started to chase something even greater than the dreams of his fathers. This is where life gets exciting, where you're no longer chasing the dream of your fathers, where the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob becomes the God of you where he's no longer just identified by my fathers, where I'm no longer just chasing the traditions of my culture, where I'm no longer just chasing what people think that I should accomplish by the time I'm a certain age. Whose dream are you chasing? So Paul says, I was chasing the dream of my fathers, dead men thousands of years ago, I was chasing something that they couldn't get to. And you know where Paul would have been? A thousand years later, he would have been chasing that same dead dream, and we would have been talking about Paul was chasing a dead dream, and and he died like his forefathers died, and he never got to the dream that they were all chasing. But Paul had some type of a revelation. And, And Paul's revelation begins with this. He says that, in verse 15, he says, But God... Who set me apart from the time that it that I was in my mother's womb and called me by his grace. And as I was going through this, right, like um, in Isaiah and in Jeremiah and in, in many places throughout the Old Testament and in the Psalms, we see this idea of a God who sets apart from the time that you're in your mother's womb. And and I used to always believe that God was called father, just like they did in Judaism, because He's a creator of all things. Like everything begins with Him and thus He is Father. But as I just kind of laid down and allowed the Lord to like, speak to me in a certain way, he says, no, listen, I set you apart from the time that you were in your mother's womb. You've, you've got to get this. Biologically, your biological father entered into your mother's womb and set you apart. There are millions of eggs in your mother's womb. And the biology of your father enters your mother's womb and it sets apart one egg, which is you. God says I entered into your mother's womb and I set you apart before the foundations of the world. That's what makes him father. He's not father because he created the universe. He's not father because he's all powerful. He's not all, he's not father because because he causes the 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 earth to spin on its axis. That's not what makes him father. What makes him father to you? This is why I'm not your father. I'm not your father, but, but there's a man who is your father. And, and what qualifies him to be your father is that from the time that you were in your mother's womb, amongst the other millions of eggs, that your father's biology entered into your mother's womb and set you apart. And thus, he selected you, picked you, identified you, made you who you are, gave you his DNA, made you like him. I'm going to form you in my likeness and in my image. And God says, I entered into you, and and then we get this picture, we get the same picture, and and, and this is why we have to believe this gospel, that the Holy Spirit came and and impregnated Mary, and then Jesus came, and and Jesus came to verify something that was spiritual and that was biological. You got to get this. Jesus is fusing in the life of Jesus. He's fusing together biology and spirituality, because God enters into Mary's womb and sets Jesus apart, physically, spiritually, And then he becomes this physical, spiritual man, fully God and fully man, impregnated by the Holy Spirit. And then Jesus identified his mission now to say, I came so that you might know the father. I came so that you might know that you might have a revelation of the fact that I don't care what your father was like. I don't care about the biology of the man who entered into your mother's womb and set you apart. I don't care what he did after he did that. Because before he had the opportunity to to enter into your mother's womb and set you apart, before the foundations of the world, God entered into your mother's womb before your mother was born and set you apart for his purposes and made you to look like him. So Paul says, This is how Paul describes him. Galatians 1, 15, he says, but, he said, this is who I was, but God, who set me apart from the time I was in my mother's womb and called me by his grace. This is how Paul identifies him. What is he saying? Father. Not just because it's a good term, not just because he's pop, but Father, because he set me apart. And I don't know whose dream you're chasing today, but the momentum changes when you realize the fact that you are a dream that's being chased. This is, this is what happens. I'm chasing the dreams of my children. I don't know what they're dreaming about, but my parenting skills, are they are defined to chase them. When you realize that you have a father, you see, I don't want you to glory in the fact that your heart is pursued after God. Your heart needs to rejoice in the fact that there's a father who's pursuing you. I don't, I don't know if my kids are pursuing me. I, don't, I think they like me, right? Like, like, I mean, I feed them, I, I get home, I hug, like, I try to be nice to them, you know? I don't know if they like me, but whether or not they like me, I'm pursuing them. Everything I do is my pursuit for them. They are my dream. I, I dream about what their life is like. And then I do something about it now. When you understand that God is your father, you're no longer impressed by the fact that you're chasing him, but you realize he's chasing you. You are the dream of his heart. You are the dream of his heart. (laughs) This is cool. Listen, God, this is is what God did. Listen, God had many options, right? God had many options. He could have came as a donkey, could have came as a dog, You have to understand that humanity, because see, in, in, in Judaism, when I read through the Old Testament, I get the idea that the Jewish people had an idea of, of God, of, of, the, of themselves, who, who were just like a part of creation. You're not just a part of creation, you're not just another created thing. You were made to subdue and rule over creation, you were the prize of all creation. You're so much the prize of all creation that before God even made creation, he set himself apart as a man, Jesus. And when he made man, he had Jesus in mind. Humanity is the prize of God's creation. I know, that sounds a little boastful and a little ambitious. I'm better than the dogs. (laughs) Any creature that you could possibly think of, humanity is the prize of God's heart the prize of creation now i want you to take that equation and take it away from yourself and to other people the prize of creation got a little less there it's okay it's okay yeah even those people that we treat like dogs a prize they're a prize of god's creation a prize of god's creation that brings us to number one, if you're following along on your, out, your outline, Jesus reveals the Father. Matthew eleven twenty seven 27 says, so no, Jesus is speaking. He says, no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those whom the Son chooses to reveal to Him. Jesus says, you cannot know God as Father apart from Him. You can know Him as... Cre- this is... This is see, This is how in in the ancient times, um, nomadic people would go out and they would see the sun, they would see the moon, they would see the stars, they would see creation, they would see the development of life, and they will conclude that there's a God. There was always an idea that there was a God. There was always an idea that there's something out in the universe that is kind of like a God. But if, if you have an idea about God in this kind of way, that leads to idolatry. Because then you have a God of the sun, you have a God of the moon. That's how that stuff came about because they realized there was a God but they didn't realize who he was. If you have an idea of God that is apart from Jesus, you still don't know God. Jesus says, no one knows the Father unless I reveal him. Every idea that you have about God must qualify itself in Jesus. I I told the class on Thursday night, you're not allowed to have an idea of God outside of Jesus. You're not allowed to have an idea about who God is unless you can define it in the person of Christ. Because where else would you come up with that? Because Jesus comes to qualify what we read in the Old Testament. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Matthew 11:27. you can't know God apart from Jesus. Your ideas of God must qualify in the person of Christ. He is not a demigod. He's not a fragment of God. He is God. And he comes to not show you that God is creator. Everybody knows that. Nomadic people know that. When I moved from being an atheist, I became an agnostic. I was like, I'm really on my way now. (laughs) Right? All right, there's a God out there somewhere. Let's search into Hinduism. Let's start start opening these books and finding out who is this God that's out there. Who has it right? And I shared many, many times that it wasn't until I had a revelation that God is love. And that's what made me follow Jesus. Not because he was creator, not because he was powerful, not because he was mighty. I knew those things as being an agnostic. I, I knew that God was powerful. I went to the beach, I looked at the waves, I'm like, no one can do this. (laughs) No one can do this but God. I, I look at life, a child being born, there has to be something out there that does this. And I wasn't impressed with creation anymore. And so something needed to speak a little bit deeper, and it wasn't until I realized that God was love, and this is what Jesus comes to reveal. He comes to reveal the fact that God is a father. This is what he comes to show you. That God is not just the being who is up there who, who has you on puppet strings and, and who causes things to happen in the universe. All of that you will get wrong if you don't understand him as father. If you try to understand God, if, if, you, if you look at what happened in Charleston, right? you, 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 you have people in a church and, and then some crazed gunman comes in. If you try to understand God by just that alone, your answers will be wrong. If you don't have a revelation of the fact that God is a father through the revelation brought to you by Jesus, you will have no understanding of that. This is why these men and women who had their families shot down in a church while they were praying could stand in a courtroom and say, I forgive. Not not because God is creator of the universe. No one one forgives someone who, who massacres people. No one does this. No one kills your family and you're like, I see the sun in the sky. And so therefore, I forgive you. No one does this. It's when you have a true revelation of the fact that God is Father, it does something to you. So Jesus came to reveal something that was never known before. Jesus came to reveal something that was never known before. He came to reveal that, not that God was the Father, but he came to to reveal God as a Father. He he came to, to reveal the nature of God, in that God was a father. And Paul understood as his fathers did. And when he had this revelation, everything changed. In the, in the thousand years in the Old Testament, the, the, the idea of God as father is presented about 15 times. And I, there, there, there are only seven direct times where God is mentioned as father. And, and, and that father idea is, is more of a, of a protector. So they, they understood that God was protecting them. When they fought um, in, in the Exodus, they, re, they realized God was protector. But when Jesus comes, just in those four Gospels alone, when Jesus comes, Jesus mentions that God is Father 150 times. He says, Father. But you've got to understand that he's Father. I'm not just coming, because he's speaking to the Jewish people who know that there's a God. So what else is he going to tell them about God that they don't already know? He's not coming to tell them that they're wrong. The Jewish people are not wrong about God. Jesus came to, to show them that he's father. And what has to happen sometimes in this revelation, it has to destroy some of your ideas so that it could build up the truth. And when Jesus uses the expression father, the subtext or, 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 or the, the, the inference is, is that God is in relationship to you. And everything Jesus does shows us what the father is like. So just turn to John uh, 5. And I'm just going to illustrate this through one passage. There there are many passages. If you read throughout, if if, if you take this message today and you read throughout all the Gospels with the idea that God is revealed in Jesus, if you read the Bible with the idea that God is revealed in what the Father is like, everything that God does is what Jesus does. Everything that Jesus does is what God does. We become hateful Christians if we define God outside of Jesus. Really, really really simple. That's who we'll be. We'll we'll become Christians that hurt the world. Because we'll have ideas about God that are not represented in Jesus. And if they're not represented in Jesus, they came from your own brokenness. They come from your own sin. They come from your your own desire, your, your own selfish wants. What you think should be in the world. John, John 5, Jesus says that he can only do what he sees the Father doing because whatever the Father does, so the Son also does. Everything that Jesus does, he's doing what the Father is doing, right? Everything that Jesus does, he's doing what the Father's doing. Everything that Jesus does is what God does. Think about some stuff that Jesus does. Everything that Jesus does is what the father does. And if Jesus doesn't do it, I caution you. I ca- I caution you to question your conclusions. When you start to think about who who God hates, when you think about who's go hey, think about who's going to hell, when you, when you, when you think about what has to find its qualifications in the person of Christ, and may I remind you that this man who presented himself to be God, who said that he revealed the Father, his greatest ridicule was that he hung out with sinners. His greatest ridicule was that he hung out with prostitutes and tax collectors. He hung out with the deplorable. He hung out with people. If you saw his Facebook and his Instagram partying with people, you would think this man cannot be God. You, 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 would, you, you would pray for him. You, you definitely wouldn't go to his church because you would have an idea about what God was like apart from him. This is why the equation has to work backwards. What does God look like? God looks like a person who hangs out with prostitutes. Yeah, you can know him as creator of the universe. Who What's God like? God is the type of person who feeds thousands of hungry people. That's what God is like. Number two... Jesus reveals that God is a good father. Not just that God is a father, but that God is a good father. Because even if he comes to reveal him as father, you will still have your own inferences from your own fathers as to what he was like. I, I, I have a good father. My, my biological father is a good father. The, the, the thing about a, a good father is that good fathers exist in a world that's not really that good. And it changes the consistency of what fathering looks like. And so while, while my father is a good father, what my father did as a good father was that he went out to provide for his children because that's what good fathers do. And if he didn't do that, he would not have been a good father. But by going out and providing for his children like good fathers do, he became an absent father. So I can't define father through him. As great of a man as he was. I don't care how good your father is. When I, when I say father, I'm saying that Jesus has to reveal what father is like. So father's in the room. Jesus has to reveal what fathers ought to be like. I'm like, re, I'm like relearning my parenting from, from looking at Jesus and, and how he speaks and what he does and what he says. Because otherwise, my, my, my default is, what did my father do? And I would end up reproducing in the earth what my father did. All right, here's the exciting part. But if you look at what Jesus does, you will reproduce in the earth what the Father's doing. Father which father which talked in heaven, thy kingdom come. How does the kingdom come? The kingdom comes when you reproduce what the Father is doing. If you if you're not reproducing what Jesus reveals the Father to be, if you're not re- if you're not reproducing that in the earth, you will reproduce what your father did. And he may have been a good man. Some of your fathers may not have been good men. And you have two options. I posted something yesterday that said, um, as, as an atheist, I thought that I could be spiritually neutral. I thought that I didn't have to pick a side on spirituality. But it wasn't until I picked a side that I realized what side I had always been on. See, when you choose to acknowledge and follow God as your father, you realize that the man who you were following all the time was some other guy who wasn't God. It's not until you submit to the idea and to the revelation that God is your father and you start to reproduce that on the earth, you can look back and say, I've wasted these years reproducing another type of father. Reproducing the idea of another type of father. And even wives and ex-wives, you will, you will reproduce the man who fathered your children if you're not careful. And he may have been a good man, I don't care how good he is. I, I, I don't want my wife to reproduce father by the way that I father. I, I need her to reproduce what Jesus reveals as father and reproduce that in the earth because that is the only way the kingdom will come. And especially if you're in the room and, and you've been divorced, your idea of father, if you have children, you will reproduce what that man did. You've got to have this revelation as God as father. It is not an option. But Jesus reveals that God is a, a good father who a just protects restores and guides his children he protects he restores and he guides his children this is the type of father that God reveals a father who protects he restores and guides his children in John John 8 I'm going to go through this the story of the of the woman who was caught in adultery this 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 woman was caught in the very act of adultery now As as I tell this story, I I want you to consider that Jesus is showing you what the Father is like. So he's no longer just a good man working for God. He is God. And he's showing you that God is the Father. And so the teachers of the law, John 8 verse 3, and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. And they made her stand before the group and said, Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. In the law of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. What do you say? So I, I, I need you to picture this now as, as, a, as a man who, who has a daughter and the daughter is caught in some illicit sex act. And people find the daughter and bring the daughter to the father and say, look at your little girl. What do you say I do with your little girl? You have to understand that what Jesus is doing, he's, he's not just being a good guy, he's showing you what the Father is like. They were using this question to trap him in order to have a basis of accusing him because he was, he was saying that he was God. So what would God do in this situation? Jesus bent down and he started to ride on the ground with his finger and they kept questioning him and he straightened up there's many ideas of what Jesus wrote in, in the sand. There's tons. Um, <laughs> I don't know which one's true. Right? Some, some, some people say, I think the craziest one. I, I think the craziest one is that he drew like the Jesus fish. Like, you know, like, I think that was the craziest one I've ever heard. Um, but there's many ideas. There are many ideas that he started to write out the people's sins, um, and that and that the people had a they, they saw their sins, and then they were convicted, and then they turned um, i I used to believe that, but then I started reading scripture again, and they they, they weren 't convicted by what Jesus wrote it said that it was what he said after he said it is is when their hearts changed and and, and so what what he wrote in my opinion wasn 't so much for them; what he said was for them. I think what he wrote was for her because see. The good father, he's not just answering your questions who are bringing the accused. A good father protects and restores and protects. He, he cares about the daughter. His first concern is the daughter. Imagine something happens to your children, you know, that your, your child was in a car accident. If your first question is, who's getting the ticket? No, how is my child? Jesus, displaying the father, would first respond to the daughter. I think what he wrote on the ground was for her, whatever it was. The Bible doesn't even tell us what it is, because it's not for you. It's for her. And whatever it is, it, it totally divided and delineated her from them. And it started to instill some confidence inside of her. And so Jesus says, let anyone who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and he started riding on the ground. This is, this is a father caring for his daughter. And he says, those who heard this, this is why I believe that they were responding to what they heard and not what he wrote. He says, those who heard this began to go away one at a time, the oldest first, until only Jesus was left with the woman standing there. When I say that Jesus reveals God as, as a father who, who protects, he protected this woman from being stoned. Whatever he wrote and whatever he said, whatever happened there, Jesus protected her. And so if we see this as the Father, this is super important. If we see this as the Father, if you understand that this is the Father who loves you, I want you to put this in whatever framework works best for you. When you see people who are being accused, when you see sinners, rightfully so, who are are being attacked by other Christians if you join in, you have not a revelation of the Father. Because a person with a revelation of the Father, what do they do? They protect. Jesus protected sinners. Jesus, Jesus pr- protected... Now, w- what happens here is that people believe that by protecting someone who, who is not living right that you're condoning a certain type of behavior. But nowhere in here do we get the idea that Jesus is condoning adultery. No one walks away from the story and says Jesus is condoning adultery. Maybe the Pharisees would. And so when you see a Christian who stands on the behalf of someone who is not a Christian and who is doing something that is deplorable and that the masses disagree with, When there is one righteous who stands and says, You will not harm this one, because I have a revelation of the Father who protects and restores and guides. And so Jesus straightened up and then he asked the woman, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she says, No one, sir. And he says, then neither do I. And he's restoring her. He says, I don't condemn you either. He's not just protecting her. He's restoring her. This is not a good man doing a good thing. This is Jesus revealing the father. This is is what a good father is like. I can't imagine a father finding his daughter in this kind of way and treating her badly. (laughs) Here's my problem with some of the responses. And, and I'm sorry if, if I'm, I'm saying a lot without trying to say too much, to be honest with you, because I don't want to open up a huge bag of worms that I, I only have like 10 minutes left to, to really unpack this thing, right? I'm probably not going to finish with this anyway. But I just, I, I, just, I just really need you to understand this. As Christians in this room, you don't have the right to attack people who live differently and think differently than you do. That's called the Christian Inquisition. That's what that's called. And that happened because they had not the revelation of the Father. The revelation of the Father doesn't protect his own in the sense of what you're thinking is your own. And so when Christians are getting persecuted, we get riled up like, Christians, those are my own. Those are not your own. Because when you have a revelation of the, of the father, your family grows a little bigger. And so when other people outside of Christianity are being persecuted as a people group, you have to stand in a certain way with them to be like this. The same way that you feel about persecuted Christians. If anyone else is being persecuted, these are some of the ideas that Abraham Lincoln had. When you're talking about the, uh, the abolition of slavery, this is, these are the ideas is, is, is that I, I can't just join in with the masses and what they believe is wrong and right. Someone has to be bold enough to stand up. And I have not met many Christians who, who, who have received the heart of the Father in such a way that they live it out in their lives. This is, this is my journey, and I invite you to it with me. My journey is not just to love other Christians. Jesus is not concerned about loving the Pharisees. You guys have got to get this. He's not concerned about loving the the Pharisees. Because they they already have their little sect. Jesus would be worried about those who stand outside of our church, who stand outside of Christianity, who stand outside of your framework of what's right and wrong. This is what he's doing here. This is why he gets killed. He he dies for this. It's not just a good idea that he believes in for the moment so he can get some accolades. He's like, I'm I'm willing to die for this woman who's caught in adultery. And no one, listen to this, no one, I, I, I see some uncomfortable faces and I'm sorry, but no one comes to the conclusion that Jesus is condoning these types of behaviors when he protects the person because he sees the person. All right. Then he says, now go and leave your family, go and leave your life of sin. I'm sorry, he says, go and leave your life of sin. And, and, and what's he saying? He's saying, go leave your life of, of sin, and he's guiding her. That's what his father's doing. He's just guiding her. Now, the Bible doesn't say she listened. The Bible doesn't say that she didn't do it again. And Jesus would have known if she wouldn't have listened. And, and if she is really who she says she is, there's a good possibility that, how, uh, yeah, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but how many of us actually do struggle with repeated and habitual sin? And we never come to the conclusion that Jesus gives us one opportunity and then he writes us off, but he guides continually. I had this great revelation, Man, I'm not going to get to this, uh, I, I had this great revelation the, the other day, Right? Like th- there's certain things in in my life that like I, I've, I've, I've I wrestle with, like I truly wrestle with them because I I know that it doesn't display the heart of the Father and and I know that it doesn't bring glory to God, and and I wrestle with with certain things inside my heart and and i always feel bad every time i fall you know every, every time i mess up and, and every time i think through this and i feel a certain way like i'm I, I feel bad all the time don't don't try to think about what it is right just, just i know you guys are like what 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 is the pastor doing don't don't, don't, don't get caught up in that listen to, listen to the bigger portion right the idea that i had was that like god 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 came and trying to say this without telling you what it is. God, 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 God came. And what, what he did was he didn't pull me completely out of this place that causes me to think and feel the way I I felt. Right. But he was like, just make this one decision, this kind of way. Now you're not going to come out of all of it, but just, just, just do this one thing. And yeah, these other things are gonna still look wrong, and these other things, the feelings of your heart are still gonna be bad. But just 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 one thing, just change this one thing, and I'm like, all right, cool. Now in my heart, I wrestled with it because if I heard someone else say that, I, it, it would sound like Jesus is saying, just just do this one thing, but continue the other sin. But that's what it felt like. If if I'm if I'm honest, it felt like Jesus was just saying, just just. Just work on this one little thing. And he didn't say anything about the rest. I see some more uncomfortable faces. But this is what happens when the father guides. This is, this is what guiding looks like. Fathers, mothers, this is what guiding your children looks like. Some, yeah, sometimes I want to snatch them up too. Sometimes I want to snatch up my kids. But I can't because they're just going to go back. But there's something that happens lesson by lesson, moment by moment, little talks here and there. Yeah. Hey, just, just, just this one thing. And the Pharisees would say, but are you telling her to now keep on doing these other things? And I think that's where we get lost. Whoa, All right. John, John 14, verse 5. I can hear your pages turning. John 14, verse 5. I'm, I'm, I'm going to just read through some of the main parts that I have highlighted here in my Bible. I'm not going to read the whole thing for the sake of time. Jesus is about to, to go away. He's, he's having this discussion with his disciples, and they, they still don't really get who he is, right? So Thomas is Thomas, and he has a, diff- he has a difficult time with Jesus and who Jesus is. Jesus speaks to Thomas, and he says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. He says, no one comes to the Father. Everybody say, no one comes to the Father except through Jesus. No one will come to know the Father except it's through Jesus. This is why Christ has to live in you. This is, this is why you have to be baptized in the Holy Spirit and Christ has to be formed in you because no one is going to come to know the Father and your mission in life is to make the Father known. That's going to be our last point. We're going to talk about that, right? But, but your, your job in life is to make the Father known and no one is going to know the Father except through Jesus. And then Jesus dies and says, I'm going to baptize you with the Spirit so, so I will be formed in you. He says, I will be in you and you will be in me and that's how people are going to come to know the Father. Verse 7 says, If you really know me, you will know my father as well. You guys see that? He says, If you know me, you'll know my father, because I came to reveal the father. And, and then he says, From now on, you do know him and you've seen him. Nothing happened between that sentence. The father didn't come down. Jesus is saying, If you knew me, you would know him. And since you know me, so from now on, you know him. It's really simple because our minds don't have the capacity to pack in all of this God. Imagine your little mind and all of God, and God trying to cram this thing in your brain. It won't fit. So what he did was he packed all of God in a little man, a little man named Jesus. He sent him 2,000, and and he shows you what God is like. Verse 9. He says, don't you know me, Philip? So, so, so Philip says, Father, just, just show us the Father, Jesus. Like, we, don't, we hear you, we see you, but would you show us the Father? Because we just want to know the Father. Jesus says, don't you know, Philip, even after I've been with you for such a long time, you still don't get it. This is, this is when you want to snatch him up. you just like, Philip, right? Like, you want to just, Philip, wake up. I'm showing you what God is like. He says, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? And he says, the words, everybody say the words. The words I say, I do not speak on my own. What, what Jesus says is what God is saying. You want to know what God is saying? Read what Jesus says. He says, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work, the work that Jesus is doing. He's doing the work of God the Father. This is not a good man. This is not a meek and mild man who's, 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 who's empowering people to live better. This is a God who's coming to show you what Father is like. And he says, or at least, if you don't believe anything else, b- believe in the evidence of my works themselves. Right, and then this is this is this is what I want to show you. The works themselves speak of the Father. So what we just saw with the woman caught in adultery, the very works speaks of the Father. And then Jesus says this really one strange thing at the end, um, verse 18. He says, "I will not leave you as orphans." And I, I love this verse that he says, "I won't leave you as orphans," because he didn't say, "I won't leave you brotherless." So we have this idea that like Jesus is my brother. He he doesn't even say, "I won't leave you friendless." Jesus is my friend. He he doesn't even say, like, uh, I I won't leave you without a teacher. He says, I won't leave you as orphans. What does that imply? Anyone? Philip? The father. Because it's without the father that you're an orphan. And Jesus says, I won't leave you as an orphan, but I will come to you because I am showing you the father. Orphans do not know the graciousness or the love of the Father. This is, this is, this is how you can identify when, there, when there's an orphan in the house. They don't know the graciousness or the love of the Father. And so uh, within the context of the church, and there's many other contexts I could put this in, but we're, we're in a church. In the context of the church, it, the orphan believes that he has to condone sin in, in, in order to be loving the orphan will allow people to walk all over them so that they can be like Christ. you got to understand this, because this is, this, is, this is a little bit of a tension here. The orphan is the one who changes theology to please people, because the orphan just wants to be loved. The, the orphan is the one who miscalculates the trajectory of the father in order so that people will like his ministry. The orphan is the one who gives us this, this, this hyper gracious prosperity message so that people will come and listen to me for the benefit. This is the orphan. The orphan will, will change the idea of sin and say, This is not a sin anymore. That's the orphan. But the orphan also acts hatefully out of the fear that the father that they're loving will look like it's condoning sin. So the orphan also hates because he doesn't want to confuse love. The, the orphan also will disqualify people because he's so afraid that he's going to convey something other than love. And so there's a tension there. You can keep, listen, you can keep your value systems and love people outside of them. You can keep your value systems and love people outside of them. This is what the Father does. This, this is why you're able to put up with your children. Because they have systems that are not your own. And you don't change your systems to please your children. But you keep your systems and you love your children and you understand the Father. And in being loved by the Father, you can still be loving and gracious and merciful and not tolerate sin. It's very, very, very possible. And lastly, Second, Alas. God is a good father who raises his family. God is a good father who raises his family. This is, this is, this is what good fathers do. And there's some fathers in here, your situation may, may, may look a little weird for whatever reason, but it, it's, it's, not, it's not just the work of the father that inspires you to raise your family. It is the heart of the father that inspires you. That's why I can stand here at 29 years old and appreciate my absent father because I understood that he wasn't away because he didn't love me. He was away because he loved me. It's, 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 it's having the heart of the father that makes me un, un, understand that he wasn't abandoning me, that he, but rather he was out working to provide and protect for me because that was the model that he had. That was the capacity for living that he had. And a good father is the reference point for your identity, and it reveals the concept of community and family. And so a good father reminds us of two things. A good father reminds us, number one, that you're not an orphan, so you don't have to fight for significance in the house. You're not an orphan, so you don't need to fight to be significant. You don't need to talk about people. You don't need to backbite. You don't need to backlash. You don't need to hold on to sin. You don't need to hold grudges. You don't need to not ignore people. You don't need to do any of that for significance and to feel better because you're not an orphan. And, and also, the Father reminds you that you're not an only child. The Father reminds you that you're not in this thing by yourself. I know you like to have we like our Jesus party, just, just, just me and Jesus. But the Father comes to remind us that we're not an only child. And so with receiving the Father, you're entering and submitting into the family. Matthew 6, 9 to 13. Jesus says to pray like this. Our Father, our Father, not my Father, our Father, which hearts in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our trespasses. You can no longer just pray about you and your sins and your trespasses and your daily bread. He's expanding the capacity when you identify him him as father. He says, and forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. When God says our father, when God is our father, no one is an orphan. He says, give us this day our daily bread. It means that our brothers and sisters' daily bread are just as important as ours. It is not okay for us to only pray for food when we're saying grace, because there's other people out there that we ought to include. If you're praying just for you and not for them, you're not praying as Jesus taught you to pray when he's revealing the Father. You're not an only child. He says, forgive us of our debts. Forgive us of our sins. It's not just you, You ask for forgiveness on the behalf of others. Father, forgive them. This is what Jesus displayed the Father. Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. They weren't on their knees talking to the Father. Father, forgive us. Jesus was displaying the Father. And he's saying, you've, you've got to pray for them also. You can't just pray for you. When God is your Father, the reconciliation and restoration of families and cities and countries become just as important as personal Friendships. And so when two countries are not getting along, it it should have the same kind of hurt when you and your friends break up. Us, we're in this together. This is what happens when we have the revelation of God the Father. Lead us not into temptation, not just you, us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Your prayers have to be bigger than your own personal circles and situations when you realize that God is the Father. And lastly, see God is a good Father who creates a legacy. Good fathers create legacy. Good, good, Good fathers leave something behind their names, and the world can have ideas of who God is, but not have a clue what the Father is like. It's very easy for the world to have ideas about God and no clue about the Father. John 20, verse 21, Jesus says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. In the same way that the Father sent him to display what God is like, he says, I am sending you. You sitting in these chairs, being loved by the Father, I need you to go and show the love of the Father and create a legacy in the earth. Because otherwise, the name of your Father dies with you. Whatever your last name is, it can die out if there's not a legacy. If you leave nothing behind, if you leave nothing in the earth that bears your family name. We have a mandate to reveal who the Father is. It's not an option. It is not something that only a certain type of people within the church does. Every single person, and, and, and even if you're not a Christian and, and, you're, and you're hearing this today, the Bible says, to he who knows and doesn't do, to, to, to him it's a sin. So I have expanded your circle today just by telling you this, and now you're responsible for it. So so you, you can't walk out of this room now and, and say, well, I don't know about that, because I have introduced this into your circle, that it is your job to make the Father known. This is why the Spirit comes and fills you. This is why Christ is formed in you, so that he can be known through you, because from him and through him and to him are all things. Romans 11. That's what Paul is talking about. It's not just for you to enjoy. Christ in you is not just for you to enjoy. Christ in you is for the world to enjoy. Listen, look up for a second. People should be enjoying you. People should enjoy your company. They should enjoy your conversations. And if they're not, let's reevaluate that. Because Christ is in you. We hope you enjoyed this message from the Doral Vineyard Church by Denville Leafs. For more information, please visit us at doralvineyard.org.